Welcome to Living Waters Podcast. Whether you're a lifelong believer, someone seeking spiritual nourishment, or simply curious about the teachings of Christ, this podcast is for you. Thank you for listening and being part of our family. I want to welcome you. If, it's, if you've been visiting for a while, or, or uh, maybe you're here with some questions, maybe you're seeking, maybe you've lost your faith, uh, you are welcome here. We welcome people who are earnestly seeking God wherever they might be in that journey. So thank you for joining us this morning. We're going to be continuing with the book of Luke. We're in chapter 8 today. And just before I read something I say every week, I know the reason we are doing this is for the exact reason that he wrote this. And he says this in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been In this world of uncertainty and lies, I have found that it feels like things are getting more fake and plastic by the day, doesn't it? I I feel like I'm I'm struggling to find sincerity and truth. I'm struggling to find a resemblance of real or honest. Everything is just just plastic. Everything is for the clicks and the likes and, and the tags. And it's becoming more and more difficult because this the same dishonesty is infiltrating churches more and more and more. Now, I'm not naming and shaming here. I'm not accusing churches of being false. I'm saying we as Christians need to be aware of the truth so that we will not be shaken by false doctrine. It says when we mature in truth, we will no longer be like those swept by the tides of the ocean back and forth. Truth does that. So what we're doing in this series is we are solidifying truth in our lives because to counter deception, we must know the truth. All right, Luke chapter 8. We're reading from verse 4 today. As you would remember last week, we just borrowed a couple of verses there because it actually goes very nicely with the heart of the previous section. So chapter 8 from verse 4, and we'll be reading until the end of the chapter. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and it was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. 
But the seed on good soil stands for those who, with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Sorry, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And he replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over the, to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went on and woke him. Him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and, ra and raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. They sailed to the region of Gerasenes, Ger which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirits to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and, th and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his change and had been driven by the demons into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had, come, had gone into him and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them in to go to, into the abyss. A large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. And the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen... It told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone had begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, 
The crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me. I know that power had gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. When Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him, except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead, but he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that, that this morning we get to meet in the presence of a holy God with brothers and sisters in faith. Thank you, Lord, that we have this incredible word of God, the Bible, to guide us, to teach us, to remind us, and to solidify the truth in our hearts. I pray today, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts to your message so that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is really an incredible portion of Scripture uh, with a lot happening. Um, but we're, we're returning here to Jesus' ministry, and, and it seems like there was never a dull moment, uh, which must have been an exciting thing for his followers. But in this first part that we want to discuss here, um, we see that's from verses 4 to verse 21. Uh, we see some incredible things happening, and the main idea, the main idea is hearing and responding. Now, if we have to sum up this, this section, what we'd say is when God's word was proclaimed, there are different levels of response, ranging from those who take no notice to those whose lives are absolutely transformed. So by now, we've seen several times in this book, uh, this incredible story, how central the good news is to Jesus' ministry. It, it would not be fair to say Jesus came to perform miracles, right? That, that's, that's not fair. In fact, we, we discussed a couple of weeks ago that incredible moment when he says, for I have come to preach the good news. You remember that when people wanted to keep him in town because they wanted him to perform more miracles and teach him? He said, no, 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 I must go elsewhere because I need to go and share the gospel of, of, of the word of God, the kingdom of the gospel of the kingdom of God, for that is why I have come. This message he is sharing is, is so incredibly important. And then in, in chapter 6, we also saw how important it is to put it into practice. And Jesus used the two houses you would remember, the one on the stone and the one on the sand. One puts it into practice and one doesn't. So the message that's put into practice allows the believer to stand in the storms of life. It's, it's incredibly central now that once again we have to think about how this good news is received. Because Jesus here, he, he draws a line between those who, who hear it and those who implement it. There, there's a difference. He says, many hear, not everyone's receiving. 
Many here, not everyone's receiving because we know that in these stories, we see people like Peter and Mary Magdalene, when they hear about it, they fall at Jesus' feet on their knees and they respond to the message that is being preached. They are aware of what's going on. As Jesus says, it's been made known to you. The secrets of the kingdom is made known to you. And when, they make, when it's made known to their hearts, their only response is full submission to this new word. But we also see on the flip side that some respond by not caring or, or even to the extremes of hostility towards Jesus because of the message. And this is an interesting thing because the same message has so many varying responses. Now, in, in the context of the book where we're at now, is Jesus is, is preparing his disciples for the varying responses that will happen. Because soon the disciples will have to go out with this message. Soon it's going to be their turn. Jesus is going to send them out, and they're going to go out. And Jesus is saying, hey, you better know, not everyone's going to be excited about this. Not everyone's going to respond, Peter, maybe like you responded. I'm sure by now they've seen some of the responses was quite hostile, quite aggressive towards Jesus. I mean, Jesus is coming and, and he's, he's shaking the boat just a little bit. And he's saying, guys, this, this will happen. This is the mixed responses that you should expect to the story of grace and forgiveness. Now, in these parables, we also... Uh, this is an interesting thing to deal with because parables is, is used to convey truths by hiding it um, and very often not explained. And here in this one, we see Jesus himself explaining his parable, his story. But before he does, he says those, those, those incredible words here in verse, uh, verse 9 and 10. He says that, I speak in parables so that those seeing they may not see and though hearing they may not understand. Which is an incredible thing for Jesus to say, but also it illustrates, parables illustrate so beautifully the points Jesus are making. Now, now, there's some, some key things we have to quickly, theological things in this, this, this section here that we have to touch on. Number one, the secrets, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God is not some sort of higher mystical revelation that, that's, that made people kind of like float above the earth just a little bit. The secrets of the knowledge of the kingdom of God is salvation in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what the, that, this is what Jesus was talking about. He says himself that the meaning of this parable is that the seed is the word of God. Later we see, obviously, in the Gospel of John that Jesus is the word who was with God. We see in the book of Hebrews um, so often that, that Jesus is the better messenger with the better word. So, so Jesus, as the, the very essence and source of salvation, is the secrets of the kingdom of God. Now, this is important. Because each and every one of us has received the revelation of the secrets of the kingdom of God. We sitting here this morning, praise God, has been, it's been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit how salvation works. This is absolutely incredible. It really is such a blessing. And in this, this section, we see this important thing that we have to hear in the right way. Because just because you heard it doesn't mean it's profitable to you. Just because you've heard the message of Jesus Christ doesn't mean you're saved. It doesn't mean you're being sanctified. This is, this is a tough thing, and, and 
everyone is responsible for how they respond to God's message in both faith and action. That's up to me and you. Now, now listen, I, 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 we can't dive too deep into it, but there is a, a little bit of an interesting thing that, that, that I, I want to just mention here, and I'm not going to give the answers to it. I want to mention why this is or how this is dealt with in this passage, because we're dealing with this passage this morning. In, in chapter 8, verse 10, there is kind of this, this statement that maybe some are unable to hear. We, we kind of have this thing, but... Are they then blamed for what they're incapable of grasping? Now, this is a very difficult thing to hear, but I must tell you that the parable of the sower by no means even tries to answer that question. It merely states the fact that some will not respond. It neither explains the source or the solution. It doesn't explain the source or the solution. You might say, but what the, the devil made them not hear. That is a difficult theological thing to assess in here because that's not the teaching of Scripture as a whole. Obviously, there is, there is evil influence. But what we do see in this passage, and why I'm saying you can't say they're un, completely unable, is because we say, see that enlightenment, number one, is possible. It's possible to understand because the Holy Spirit makes it clear to us. And number two, we also know that the truth is meant to be known. And it is there for all who seek it. So in this, this incredible parable of the sower, we do see that, that people will reject or will not receive the message. It could be because it doesn't fit their personal worldview. It could be for uh, just a horde of other reasons. But at the end of the day, the passage isn't trying to explain the how or the, the uh, why or the cure of why people don't ex accept the message of Jesus Christ. It merely says that people will reject Jesus. And to formulate it too much for me is, is not always good because sometimes if people could just see a miracle, then they'll believe, no, no, that's not true. People are seeing miracles all over the place, but they're chasing Jesus away. You and I are responsible for how we respond. That, that's up to us. It's up to us how we will deal with, with this incredible story of salvation. Now, if we get to takeaways in this here, it's, it's interesting for me because I love the analogy of seeds. Because if I had to bring a bag of seeds here this morning, let's say I brought a bag of, of uh, pizza tree seeds, um, and now I've got my pizza tree seeds, that would be a miracle. Come on, let's have faith, people. Start praying for pizza tree seeds. But uh, let's say uh, I take my pizza tree seeds, and um, this morning I give each and every one of you a pizza seed to go and plant some pizza trees. All right, don't lose me on the pizza thing. Come on. Each and every one of you are now receiving a seed. But see, the power of the seed will be determined by what you do with it. And you can only benefit from the seed if you plant it. The power is not just in receiving the seed. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, in here you've got, now I'll be, I'll be very clear, Jesus kind of sees 
two groups of people here. Even though he explains there are four, he a couple of warnings in the first three, and then he says, this is where you want to be. But Jesus is saying, there are those who plant their seeds and those who don't. There are those who respond to the gospel and those who don't. If you don't respond, you don't benefit. It's done. But if you respond and you plant your seed, then there will be authentic faith that produces spiritual fruit. This is the, the kind of the line Jesus is drawing on this, in this whole section, that there is spiritual fruit that goes with authentic faith. And for us this morning, and we see this again in the lampstand, it shouldn't be hidden. You know, you don't take the lamp, you don't take the seed and hide it away. If you put it in your pocket and you don't plant it, it's useless to you. Your family's going to starve. But if you plant it, you might produce a harvest. And he even warns, he, and I find it so interesting when we see thorns, and uh, yeah, thorns, and we think, oh my goodness, but then he says, no, it's for those who go up and they, they kind of see the thorns and they start watering rather their worries and their riches and their pleasures, and these things kill the seeds. Riches and pleasures, this is what, what modern society has become all about, riches and pleasures comfort and wealth. And he says, these are the very things that's going to strangle to death the seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. He goes on and his mother and brothers are coming to him. And he goes on to say that my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and puts it into practice. So in this first section, if, if we want takeaways, it is, it is as simple as it's not enough to hear. It's just not enough. It's not enough to, to somewhere file into your mental cabinet the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are not responding to it in your life, it is not beneficial to you. You've got a pizza seed, but it's in your pocket. It's in your pocket. And it will never produce a harvest. See, Jesus' teaching was, was pretty straight, wasn't it? He goes on into the next section where there's three sections today. And the second one of the three, we have this encounter across the lake. And that's from verses 22 to 39. Main idea, obviously, here is Jesus' displays of his unique power over both the natural element and supernatural oppression. Now, so far, people have come from different places. I just want to give a bit of historical context here. People have come from different places to see him, but he has not actually ventured out of Jewish territory. So he has ministered to many Gentiles, but they've always been coming to him. Now, all of a sudden, when Jesus crosses the lake, he's going into Gentile territory. And we, one of the ways we know this is obviously historically we know that they were living there, but also there's a bunch of pigs there. And Jews weren't very keen on bacon in those days. So we know that by the fact that there were pigs, it wasn't Jewish territory because they weren't allowed to come close to pork. So Jesus now ventures into Gentile territory, you and, my, you and me territory, and he goes and he extends the gospel of Jesus Christ into this world. This is a big statement. This is a big statement about what the gospel is for, and that is all people. Because as soon as he did this, he was saying, me, the Jewish Messiah, is not for Jews only. 
And he was starting to show this is what he expects of all believers. Not to venture into where we're comfortable, but to venture out where the gospel is needed. Anyway, so this, um, this section, we obviously, this, this incredible moment where they think they're going to die and, and the boat's sinking and, and then the spectacular exorcism, obviously, where it's, it's the most detailed one we find in the book of Luke. It is, it is pretty much the high point of Jesus casting out demons in this entire book of Luke. And it really brings to a high point also what we see in Jesus' power over evil forces. It's a big statement when the Son of Man has the authority to cast out demons in this, in this way. Now, now, these two stories record not merely the deliverance of people in danger and distress, but it, it also records Jesus' nature as the deliverer. And here I want to pause for a moment. Because these stories is not about a demon-possessed man or his disciples or a storm. These stories are about Jesus. Now, now you might be thinking, Hein, we, we know that. Thank you, though. Uh, appreciate all your preparation this week, but, but give us something fresh. Sometimes we don't get it. I've often heard this, this preach, and I might have done it myself, and I'm sorry if I've done, but, but that the demon-possessed man becomes the focal point. And he shouldn't be. Jesus should be. That, that the storms become the focal point. That the disciples' needs become the focal point. And Luke is not trying to make these things the focal point. Luke is focusing on the ministry of Jesus Christ and how that affects everything around him. Now why I have to mention this and why this is so important is because if we make the demon-possessed man the focal point, we take the focus on off where it should be, and Jesus becomes the method to how the man gets what he wants. Let's bring that closer to home. We can very easily make ourselves the focal point of our lives, the heroes of our own stories. You know? I am the protagonist in Hind's life and, you know, everything else is the antagonist and the Holy Spirit is just kind of in the background pushing me forward so that I can do all the things that the protagonist, the, the, the hero needs to do. I'm Iron Man, you know. And culture has influenced us that we must become the center of our own universe. And we start reading the gospel not as a, a new way of life, which Jesus was clearly introducing. He wasn't introducing this as a, as a home improvement add-on fixtures. This is, this is not a fresh paint of coat on your house. Jesus is saying, you better start building your, rebuilding your foundations. I'm introducing something new, something different. My kingdom is not of this world. And see, Jesus must still be the focal point of our lives. I want to move on. Because uh, there's another interesting here that we see, and, and, and this is uh, the Gerasenes, their response to what Jesus is doing. Now, now, for me, obviously, this is an incredible response, but, but they see fear. I mean, these guys, they were, they were afraid of the guy, and then they were afraid of Jesus and, and angry that the pigs died, obviously, because if you had a farming business and Jesus kills all your animals, um, that, that's, that's not a good business model. But their response for everything that they've witnessed now is fear. 
Now, Jesus' ministry was and still is characterized by love and compassion and, and gentleness, but also we cannot deny that at the very same time, there is this, this inescapable element of otherness to Jesus' ministry. There's this inescapable element of otherness. Something is different about it, and it has and still does leave people feeling uncomfortable. Is that okay? It causes discomfort. And here, if we link it to the previous section, we see that in their response, what happened actually is they prevented Jesus or, or pre prevented themselves from experiencing any of the benefits of the presence of Jesus in their lives because of their response to the otherness. Now, now in application, obviously, we have to mention that even in this world, uh, we try and make the gospel sugar-coated, Right? We try and make it more palatable. We try and make it that when we talk about Jesus, what we're talking about is he's going to make you healthy, wealthy, health well, happy. He's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and happy. That's Jesus' plan for your life. Because I know the plans I have for you. And it is health, wealth, and happiness. He's here to give you success in your business and health in your bones. Now, we'll get to health in your bones in a minute because I believe that. But what they're missing is that Jesus didn't really represent that 2,000 years ago. In fact, 2,000 years ago, everyone that was comfortable in their health, wealth, and happiness were shaken, and those who were shaken were comforted. Maybe that's the sweet spot of the church. You know, shake the comfortable and, and comfort the shaken. That, that's what we should, we should be aiming for here. But Jesus' otherness is still going to require a response. What do we do when Jesus rocks the boat? What do we do when Jesus rocks the boat? What do we do with these passages we're reading? And then maybe all of a sudden we see that uh, you know, maybe you know, the full book of, of Luke represents something different from what I expected this, this tame, blonde-haired Jesus to do. Maybe it's a, it's a little bit more gritty than that. Now, when I read these accounts, I, I can't help but, but wonder what it must have been like for the disciples journeying with him, seeing this extraordinary power of Jesus over nature, over demons. I mean, first, they, they, were they comfortable? Most of them, they, I mean, with the Jews, it's in their element. It's where they know. And Jesus says, okay, let's go across the lake. Now, I would have been like, Jesus, I, I hear you, but you know who's there, right? Pigs. You know, you're still a Jew. My guy. Now, this is, everyone knows this about me, and one of the my, uh, you know, things I appreciate so much about the gospel is that uh, Jesus said we can eat whatever we want. Um, so bacon and eggs. Uh, but that's, that's neither here nor there. But praise, praise Jesus that pigs are, are now fine for consumption. Um, <clears throat> but now the, Jew, the, the, the disciples, all of a sudden, they, they get in this boat. By the way, the boat was not, it was no Titanic. <laughs> um, what I mean by that, it was, it was just a bit bigger than basically a canoe. You know, the, the 13 of them would have filled this boat to the brim. It, it, was, it was packed. So, so Jesus falling asleep, you know, in this tiny little boat, starting to rain, storm, waves, wind. They're freaking out, and they seriously think they're going to die. 
So now, I mean, I'd be there. I'm like, Jesus, we're going to somewhere we haven't been for, for a reason that I don't really get. We're pretty popular back here. I don't know what to expect on that side. There's pigs. And now we're going to die. So Jesus wakes up and he's like, okay, wind be still, rebukes the storm, storm dies down. Wait a second. I, I never seen that before. This is new. I mean, I, we saw the catch of fish and that was, that was spectacular, but we didn't expect you, Jesus, to have power over nature like that. They get to the shore and they see this man screaming and running around naked between the tombs. I, I would have been like, oh, Jesus, I think uh, let's go to town, you know? <laughs> you know, where we can have an intellectual conversation about, you know, the existence of, of man and the salvation that is found only in Jesus. But Jesus goes to the man and he ministers to him in, in a loving and compassionate way, casts out the demon, sees the needs. All of a sudden the pigs run into that, which would have been difficult to understand. But I would, have been, I would have been flabbergasted at the authority of, of Jesus Christ over the struggles, whether the fear of the depth or evil forces. I would have been just astonished at his authority. I want to rephrase that. I am astonished at the authority of our Lord over all things. And I am so grateful that he still holds this kind of authority. He still holds this kind of power. This is, this is the Jesus we serve. He has not relinquished his authority. In fact, just before he went up to heaven, he said, For all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We're going to get back to Jesus' power in just a moment because uh, I wonder, the last part is, is from verses 40 to 56. And once again, we see Jesus' extraordinary power to heal, um, and it extends even to someone who's just died. And, and his power even operates without his conscious intention, and his healing comes as a result of faith. Now here the storytellers use a very good um, literary technique of sandwiching the story of the woman with the issue of blood in, in the story of, of the girl, you know, Jairus' daughter, which is an interesting thing and obviously that's how it happened, but it kind of keeps our attention, but it also shows us similarities between these two stories. Now some of the similarities are obvious, you know, they're both girls, uh, well, ladies, um, they both have issues that could not be solved by human intervention. This is, this is one of the biggest things we see here is that even though these people have tried, they've been to doctors, I mean, obviously Jairus' dad, oh, Jairus is the dad, Jairus tried absolutely everything to help his daughter. Every single thing they tried has failed. These two people were beyond human intervention. But we also see that both of their miracles came as a result of faith. Both of these miracles came as a result of of faith. Now, now, I've touched on this before, that faith is not always the reason miracles occur. And just having faith doesn't always mean the miracle will happen. But we also have this striking reality that faith does lead to miraculous intervention. This is something you and I cannot deny. Now, this is something that, that also, I must say, that having the evidence of this does increase my faith, and it does excite me because I know that God still performs miracles. 
But before we get to that, I just want to mention this incredible word, sleep, that Jesus uses when he talks about the girl that's dead. And I think that is a, a word that we should give some, uh, some credibility to because Jesus knows that this, even though he's going to heal this girl, she's going to die again. You know, that's, that's it. But death is not the end. Death for the believer truly is sleep. Because after the sleep, we will be awakened to an eternal reality with Jesus Christ. So in him using that word sleep, what he's actually doing is he's foreshadowing eternal resurrection, not resuscitation. Resuscitation is what he was doing here. Resurrection is what's awaiting believers. I want to get back quickly, and this is where we're finishing, then we're done. But this the situation that was beyond human intervention, as every single resource has failed both of these women, but they were not beyond the power of Jesus. Now in these stories, what we do see is that Jesus was both willing and able to heal because of the nature of God is all powerful and all compassionate. The nature of God is all powerful and all compassionate. This is the God we serve. And because He's all-powerful and all-compassionate, we can know that He will, like He did just now in the storms and with the demon-possessed man, we know that He will bring us through life's difficulties. That is a promise. He won't always solve it the way we want to. But His promise is always that He will bring us through life's difficulties. I don't know what the disciples were expecting when they woke Jesus up and said, hey, we're going to drown. Maybe they were expecting him to move the boat quickly to the shore. Instead, he calmed the storm. I don't know what you're expecting when you're praying for your job you're struggling in. Maybe you're expecting him to move you to another place where there's not so many storms, but maybe he's trying to start calm the storm around you. I don't know what what your expectations, I don't know what theirs was, but we see that Jesus has the power to bring us through life's difficulties. Sometimes, listen, sometimes he will extend his power to change our situations, to give a miracle. And sometimes he will give us the power to endure it. But he will never ignore it. That is a promise. There is never going to be a situation in our lives that we think, is, can, can even imagine, is beyond God. His ability, His power. And this is where I believe true faith comes in. I said this last week or the week before. I said we must be careful not to place our faith in the miracle or the healing. We must place our faith in Jesus. Because He's the one, while you're expecting Him to move the boat, can calm the storm. He's the one that can heal or make the sickness a testimony. He's the one that has power and authority over all these things, and He's the one who we know will bring us out of life's difficulties. And I want to encourage you with that this morning. I want to encourage you, first and foremost, I want you to have the faith to pray, the faith to reach out like this woman did. She was beyond human intervention. She has tried absolutely everything. She was ceremonially unclean, and she knew touching Jesus would make him ceremonially unclean. That's probably why she hid and didn't want to reveal to Jesus who she was at first. 
But I want to encourage you to have the faith to reach out, to touch. Maybe with the expectation of healing, which I cannot promise you will happen. But I can promise you, you should have the expectation of intervention. Because that is what our faith does do. It brings intervention because it allows Jesus into our problems. And I want to encourage you this morning with that same thing to have faith that God will either sort out your problem or give you the strength and power you need to endure it. This is who our God is. This is who He still is. He's still able. He's still capable. He's still loving. He's still compassionate. And I want to encourage you to respond in that way. Let's close our eyes. Thank you, Lord, that, that each and every one of us here has by your Holy Spirit received the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom, of salvation, of, of being redeemed, being new, being cleansed. I want to thank you, Lord, that first and foremost, we, we know that we belong to you, but we also know that, that having those seeds in our pockets are worthless. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us will do something with the revelation of Jesus Christ. With these teachings that we see again and again, with these revelations of faith. And maybe, Lord, today faith is one of the seeds that you're sowing into our church. And we receive it this morning. Each and every one of us this morning is, is receiving that seed that we see was sown by, by Jairus. And, and we see the seed that was sown by this woman. Lord, I pray that we too might sow the seeds of faith in our lives. Expecting a powerful God to intervene. Lord, I pray, God, that we would have a security in the knowledge of who you are and what you are capable of doing. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that, that is full of faith in the ability of God, the ability of a miracle worker, of one who can calm storms and, and cast out demons of one who can heal the sick and even raise the dead. Lord, I pray that even this morning, as we know we have the seed of faith, that we will sow it, that we will, man, plant it, that we will even pray it into existence. Lord, I pray that this morning you would help each and every one of us in our unbelief, in our struggles, in our trials. I pray that you would stir up once again in our hearts the this gift of faith that we have. Because our faith, Lord, is not in the outcome. It's not in the miracle. It's not in the healing. Our faith, Lord, is in a miracle worker, the Savior of the universe, the one who was, who is, and is to come. Our faith, Lord, is in you. So thank you, Jesus, that we have these accounts so that we know our faith is not misplaced. In Jesus' name, amen.